0: This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. It's your
1: club and this is your show.
2: Turns out that that title race that was done and dusted might not be quite as done and dusted as previously thought. Two points lost at Southampton has perhaps opened the door a little bit to Liverpool. They'll be as close as six points behind if they win their game in hand and still have to play City later this season. Suddenly it feels like we're sitting a lot less comfortably at the top of the table. But let me put you at ease a little bit. Saturday's draw at St Mary's is the first time that City have dropped any points since the end of October, just under three months ago. So welcome to this week's Blue Moon Podcast, where we'll be analysing what happened on the South coast, starting with one interesting question. Are City getting better at recovering from a bad start? After half an hour in that game, we all thought it was going to be one of them days, but by the end, we all felt that Pep Guardiola's side should have come away winners. And also on today's show, we'll be speaking to the former City forward Chris Schuker about his time coming through the academy and into the first team under Kevin Keegan. And we'll also be looking at January transfers of years gone by too, as this season's window comes to a close. I'm David Mooney. With me this week, I've got two City fans in the shape of Adam Keyworth. Hello. And Howard Hockin. Hello. Howard, uh, before we before we kick off, um, I just want to say uh, congratulations on the, the 9320 um, 12-hour podcast. You must be exhausted. So why on earth you agreed to come on this show like the same week? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just the amazing bonus system that you offer
3: for this show for people that come on. <laughs> uh, no, it wasn't, to be honest. Uh it, it's weird because it, it actually focuses you during the time you're doing it, and I even there was pre-recorded stuff, uh, which obviously helps. But I couldn't leave my computer either really because I had this, have this total fear that it might just shut down at any point. So I still <laughs> couldn't go anywhere. But doing a bit of the stuff beforehand does take the the uh, the, the pressure off, and there were loads, so many from the city community, including yourself, of course, and we're putting the quiz up. <laughs> the quiz will be up by the end of this week. Good, uh, good. <laughs> from that day, so many people chipped in. That really, yeah, it it was amazingly, almost a breeze, <laughs> if that's possible for a twelve-hour broadcast. But yeah, it went really well. So
2: excellent. It was all Thanks. for it's all for the Man City fans food bank. How much? Uh, do you know how much you raised in the end? It was it was um,
3: certainly in the thousands, wasn't it? It's gone over three thousand. I yeah. think for, <laughs> from the GoFundMe and about five hundred pounds, I think, through the YouTube. Super chats, whatever that is, <laughs> but, you know from the feed on the day. So yeah, it's gone for three three thousand from the day itself. So I'll keep pushing it for a few more days.
2: So. Yeah, so go and chuck a few a few quid in the in the uh, GoFundMe if you haven't already. Uh, how they'll be online? Will the all the all the segments are online? You said the quiz is going up. Is the the chat with Nedam's going up as well? Is it?
3: Yep, it's uh, up. Uh, already up. I'll put that one up. Uh, I'll put as much as I can up, but I think the original YouTube video itself is still there. Oh,
2: so, good! So you, you can uh, watch the whole thing in it if you've got twelve hours to spare. Just uh, yeah, yeah, yeah,
3: you can just dip into the. Uh, it was kindly hosted by City Extra, uh, and it's all on there still. If people want to dip in, uh, but it's got little time segments on, so you can find out where stuff is. But I will be putting individual stuff up online on SoundCloud for people to listen to.
2: Good, good. Well, uh, go and catch up on that. But for now, we're going to uh, we're going to focus on uh, City and Southampton. Um, Adam, I said in the intro there that um, I, it felt like it was going to be one of them days for City. And in the end, we all came away thinking that City should have had three points. Um, how much of that feeling and the narrative of that do you think is, is set by the fact that City started the first 10 minutes a bit slowly and Southampton scored and that's it?
4: Yeah, um, we were bad, weren't we, in the first half? There's very... You can't really get away from it, can you? But um, I thought Southampton were good. The way that they pressed, um, they were quite clever with how they got at our kind of wider players and the fullbacks. But as as you said earlier on, it, it did feel like one of them days until half time. But I think the key to that game was we got in at half time. It was only one nil, um, and nothing. Too badly had gone wrong. Obviously, they had other chances and there was a lot of offside calls and the rest of it, but I wasn't feeling as negative as as I usually am when we went into half time at 1-0 down because I, I think we've shown a bit more about us this season that when we do go goal behind, and especially that early on, had Southampton gone 1-0 up in the 70th minute, I might have felt a little bit uh jitterier, but it, it <laughs> is jitterier g- a
2: word. <laughs> it is now. It is now, yeah.
4: Um so yeah, it, it, I didn't feel too bad at half time. Yeah. But How- uh was disappointed in the end.
2: Yeah, Howard, when you look at um kind of the the ebb and flow of the game, it, it's it's really strange, isn't it, that City start badly and then get better. You kind of tend to feel if City start badly, it goes wrong for 90 minutes. But like you look at Arsenal, okay, red card help there, but you look at Arsenal and Southampton back to back in terms of being down at half time. City came back and, and they took four points from those games. That's good, isn't it? That's 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 That feels like like progress.
3: Yeah, I mean, there used to be that stat, did they not? That we used the, the point of half-time, which doesn't really tell a full story, that City hadn't come from behind at half-time to win a game, but that's just one moment in a match. I don't know if they're coming, or just coming back from being behind period was much better anyway, that stat. But I think in the last 12 months, they've put that to bed. Uh, I'm going to use muscle memory here, but because some of this is last season, is it not? But I think we came from behind away to Brucey Dortmund, yeah. PSG, Aston Villa away. We were behind within a minute. I don't think it even sat down when it scored that goal. Newcastle, that crazy Newcastle game, we were behind at some point then. We've done it plenty and plenty of times in the last nine months. You think that this, this team has changed a bit somewhat. You really did feel for all the brilliance a couple of years ago that when they did go behind, it it felt like they didn't know how to act, probably because it was so rare and you don't feel that way anymore. But what hasn't changed in a way, I still do feel that you can gauge a match pretty well by the first 10 minutes. And when you can normally tell, like the one in seven or eight matches, within 10 minutes you think, this is going to be a tough match today. It's not going how I thought it would. Yeah. And I'm not sure if the Southampton goal really changes that. I think it was pretty obvious with this one it was going to be a tough game. But I say this team, you do have faith in them that they, even if it's tough throughout, that they can still come, turn it around and win, even if the performance doesn't improve that much.
2: Yeah. Adam, when in when in, in terms of performance, uh, were you impressed with how City took control of the game later on? Because there was there was certainly a spell in the second half where you thought, I mean, there's no way Southampton are holding out under this pressure. City were just relentless for a good twenty minute spell or so. Or equally from, from like like from that bad start, because of that control that they got, does it feel a bit like a missed opportunity?
4: I think in the end it felt like a missed opportunity, but I was impressed from probably just straight after half time, wasn't it? Um, we seemed to change things. We, we had a bit more pace about us and I think the worst thing about the first half was just the way that we were giving the ball away. It, we were trying to pick out passes that we we're never finding a man. It looked like nobody could find Kyle Walker, which was really weird. But um, yeah, I, I really liked the fight and like Howard said, it's, it's starting to feel like when we do go behind, there's enough quality to, to come back and sometimes win the game. And a lot of that, is down to sometimes just a bit of individual brilliance, which we nearly had from De Bruyne again. Um, I was impressed. I did think in the last 10 minutes we should have scored again uh, to win that game. And it was a decent point, but it would have been a really, really good three points. So it was a little bit disappointing in the end. I thought there were some really good performances and some pretty, pretty subpar performances. Uh, but like I say, it was, it was good to see some of them, especially just bringing us back into the game, some of the work that De Bruyne got through in that game its probably the fittest I've seen in block for a good 12 months, which yeah. was the most promising thing for me.
2: Yeah, you mentioned a point as well. Um, are you a bit nervous now with the way that, that City got a point, Liverpool got three, and the situation now, if they win at the Etihad, is, it could be three points behind?
4: Not really. I think it's still it's still in our hands. You'd rather be in our position than Liverpool's. Absolutely, but, yeah, Although. Yeah although we're good at chasing down things like that, but I would still back us to win more games than any other team in the league this year. We've played the, the bigger teams in air quotes, uh, away from home. They've got to come to our place knowing that they're going to need a win. And I'd back us. I always think we're better against better teams anyway. Um, and I think one thing that we're missing here is some of the performances from the Southampton team were pretty brilliant. Uh, Salisu, who I've probably seen play twice in my life, has had two of the better defensive performances that I've seen. Um, so a point doesn't worry me. Yeah, uh, I don't think it should worry anyone. We're, we're still miles clear, really. Um, I mean, it's
3: the first time that Liverpool have gained on us in three months. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. <laughs> what yeah, do you and, want and do know
4: what? I, I said that during the game. We can't win every game. Yeah. It's just not going to happen. You cannot win every single game. There's going to be, and Pep says it all the time, there's going to be games that we lose and we draw and games where we don't play as well. We've just got to suck it up and get on with it. If we have to beat Liverpool, we have to beat Liverpool. We've done it before. So
3: I think it was quite relaxed because it felt like it was coming anyway. Yeah. It had to come at some point, but it's you've got to be you know relaxed about it and say, well, come on, on another day, we wouldn't have got the three points at Arsenal. and yeah whatever went before it was still a late winner and the wolves game was nothing special and there's other games where you know you look at them and think well on another day yeah we've we've just about got over the line there so eventually if you don't get over the line even if you think well we could have won this one then yeah we've done okay out the last 13 games (laughs) to get 37 points out of those games it's just amazing
2: yeah yeah. Um Adam mentioned uh, Howard the uh that, that Southampton the, there were some individual brilliant performances for Southampton. Um Phil Foden got a bit of a going over on Sky for not, track, not tracking uh Carl Walker Peters for for the goal. Um I'm I'm still wondering though if it, if we should put it in the camp of well there's not really much you can do about that. It was a great finish. You wouldn't expect him to do that from there. It was his what was his first Premier League goal was it? So like you can understand that going in if you mo- if you know what I mean.
3: Yeah, but the pet way is that <laughs> you don't give the opposition a chance. Everyone does their job and they don't have room to have a shot. Uh, I am pretty relaxed, but I mean, the thing with Phil Ford is that it's one of those seasons where he's it's not, it's not quite got going yet m- much. I think, obviously, did he not? He got injured for England, did he not? And didn't start yeah. the season. Uh, he's had Covid, am I right in saying that?
2: I think he has. I'm not, I can't remember if it's been reported or not if he has, so I'm, I'm not sure, yeah. And there's a small
3: disciplinary issue, so he's sat on the bench a bit. And it's not a concern because he's at the point now, Phil where I know he's going to be world-class. Oh, he is world-class. And it's one of those seasons that has you know, ravaged a lot of clubs, a lot of players. Momentum is difficult and he's just not quite got going. I just think in his prime, yeah. I think when, he, when Pep was being cautious with him early doors it was he often said Pep it's not what he does on the ball it's what he does off the ball and this is perhaps an example of that that Pep himself I'm sure he won't shout at him but we'll be looking at that thinking no to come in this in this team it's not what you do on the wall as well you've got to be tracking runners like that someone has to be and I'm sure I'm pretty sure it won't happen again yeah. <laughs> so I mean you could go even further back of course and Sterling had you can't blame Raheem Sterling for the goal for something that happens at the other end of the pitch but he had an easy chance to put someone I can't remember who was overlapping I think, I think it was Carl Walker yeah at the time easy easy chance to put him in on goal and so yeah you can maybe I don't know Laporte or Diaz should have been closer to Walker-Peters but it's a brilliant goal <laughs> and sometimes sometimes you don't yeah one of our players doesn't do something like well they are human beings after all. So. Yeah.
2: Something you said earlier, Adam, as well, kind of uh, ringed a bell with me, because um, th- th- there was this idea that uh, Southampton were really, really pressing City in that, that first half. Then you would look after the goal. All of Southampton's threats, there, there, there was a, a, another goal that was offside. There was a penalty claim that was offside. Uh, in the second half, they had a they had a header that um, Edison made a good save from, but then there was, there was a header that hit the post, which was offside. Is that actually just City defending quite well?
4: <laughs> um, they've, held, they've, held a good, they've
2: held a good line.
4: Yeah, they have. Um, and it would probably be remiss of me to say that it's luck because we know what, what Pep is like. We know what the coaching staff are like at City. They've, they've prepared for that. They knew what Brozier was going to do, who, by the way, looks very good. Um, they knew what he was going to bring and he was playing on the last man the entire game. Um, So, I don't think you could put it down to luck. I think it is just City defending properly. Um, And do you know what? With Edison, it was a really weird game. He made that good save later on. But I did think he was an offside. Well, two offside calls away from having a bit of a stink there. (laughs) Because the goal that was offside was terrible keeping. And the penalty, whether or not he knew he was offside or not, would have been another Classic Oh Edison's board moment. Just don't, don't. Um, I mean,
2: don't take that risk. Oh, I know he's offside, so I'm just going to yeah. whack him down. No, no, mate, no, don't do that. Yeah.
4: <laughs> so, so both of those were like, like you say, on another day, could have gone in a really bad direction. But uh, I will put it down to just good defending. We we are a very good defensive unit. It, dep- it doesn't even matter who you put into that um, centre half pairing. Really, they're, they're just really strong. So yeah it would it would be very harsh to say yeah they just got lucky three times i doubt it
2: yeah um just on the on the other end of the pitch though adam um we talked about uh sterling not putting in um Kyle walker in the first half there was there was an opportunity where he could have equalized at the late in the first half why do you think it wasn't working for sterling in this game
4: don't know for i mean as good as he's been over the last month that was as bad as he's been good it was really, really bad, wasn't it? I mean, the chance that he missed was bad. Yes. The missed overlap uh, by Walker twice, by the way. It wasn't just once. He did it again later on. He couldn't find his feet. He, he just didn't have what, what I really liked about him the last month. He seemed to have a lot of confidence and he was driving at players and he, he, you could see him kind of feeling himself. And he was, he just, he, every time he got the ball, especially at the home games, you'd get up and you'd think, right, something's coming here which sometimes with Sterling, when he's having a bad day, it's the opposite. He gets the ball and you think, just give it, just pass it because it, it's just not happening. And my concern with Sterling is he is very much the football cliche of he is a confidence player, but also if, when he has a bad game, it, it looks really bad. And um, He does have a, a habit of missing every now and then, maybe once a season, missing one of those tappings where all he has to do is just pick out, what, 99 one-hundredths of the net and it goes in. <laughs> um, and when he doesn't, it looks really bad because people are already on his back. And it, the other thing with Pep is, we remember from that Burnley game where yeah. he got t- taken off from it, Pep won't stand for those missed chances. And if Sterling starts missing games again, it throws up the contract thing and it just gets messy. So it was quite hard to watch. Although I'm glad he came off when he did because we looked better, I think, when he came off.
2: Yeah, was it? I was going to ask Howard. Do you think it was simply the input of of Jesus in that second half that changed things for City? Because you you look at it was after that that City equalised. There was um, Jesus himself hit the post. The Bruyne hit the post. They were they were really pressing in that second half. Yeah, well, I mean, the change made a difference. Obviously, uh, being hurt, taken off after fifty five
3: minutes is <laughs> by Pep Guardiola is damning. Yeah, uh, I mean, there's not even an hour on the clock. Then he's not happy with you. Uh, you see, we just gave him, should have gone before, but really, Pep didn't do half-time once, and I guess he might give him 10 minutes to see You know, if he could turn it around, which is fair enough. Yeah, JT's made a big difference. He was excellent. <clears throat> we looked a lot brighter. The unknown is that perhaps this is what would have happened anyway, because City do have that patience now, do have that. They look at the ninety minutes as a whole. They don't go for the juggler immediately. They can just slowly turn the screw, and it felt like perhaps the second half would have gone that way anyway, irrespective of the personnel on the on the pitch. A
2: couple of uh, couple of decisions to look over before we finish. Um Howard De Bruyne wanted a penalty, but the referee and the VAR said no. Uh, the referee said there was no foul, and the VAR said the foul there was a foul, but it was outside the box. Uh, what did you make of that?
3: I've not watched a replay, so you can answer this properly for me. I know the reason I've not watched a replay since is I'm so weary of VAR now. That at the time I was watching the match, I was just kind of detached about the decision. It's weird. Yeah. It's weird. It's like a big, big moment in the match. This is it. This is like we get a penalty and we can go on to win the match. There's not that long left. This could define where we get pretty much nailed down the league title or yeah we've still got a bit of work to do Yeah, and it's like they're still there Go, who knows what they're going to get I mean I've watched it and it doesn't even matter what I've seen who knows what the referee will do uh, it's a foul it's definitely a foul I know the line counts as a penalty Area does it not? Yeah, on, the, thought, on the
2: line is in the box. I always because I've I've, I know, I've known was, this for years because yeah. the number of referees I've had arguments with when I've picked the ball up on the line and they've given handball and it's not handball. It's on the line is in the box.
3: And I thought when I watched it at the time it was just on the line, but I assume by millimeters it was not. Yeah.
2: Um, then Adam in the se- uh, later in the second half, Laporte um, tweeted a, a photo after the game of uh, of his leg after the challenge uh, on the field. The decision was no red card. The VAR stuck by that. Did you agree? No,
4: nope, that's a red card. Next, um, I mean, we've seen that that tackle be given as a red card for us against us so many times. <clears throat> John Stones against Aston Villa, same tackle, red card. Mm. Um, go all the way back to Paul Scholes on Zabaleta red card it's the same tackle if you if you go studs up in someone's thigh when the ball's gone it's a red card it doesn't matter if you think it's soft it really doesn't matter if you're going to go down with this clear and obvious thing it's a clear and obvious error because that's a red card I, I don't necessarily agree that it should be because like it can be accidental or whatever but if you're going to give it nine times out of ten you can't have that one that you don't give
2: yeah I just so, wonder stupid, I just wonder if stupid yeah. tackle I just wonder if the reason it wasn't given was because the referee had a clear view of it, and so what he said to the VAR is what well, the VAR's seen, and it's like uh, you, you, they're not re-refereeing the game; they've just the VAR might think he's got yeah. the decision wrong, but he's seen it. So what can you do? <laughs> yeah, ridiculous Great. system in that. <laughs>
4: um, I mean, there was a couple, weren't there? There was a couple of bad tackles.
2: Well, I was going to ask that there? there was a couple on Grealish, wasn't there?
4: Yeah, well, every week.
3: <laughs> yeah, his first half was a lot. I think he was angry in the tunnel afterwards as well, wasn't it?
2: About it still. So. Yeah, he was. He was waiting for Romeo in the tunnel, according to uh, the, <laughs>
4: the Southampton you know boss. I, I love that about Grealish. Um, I love that he's got a temper, but he doesn't quite let it bubble over. You can just tell that he's getting wound up, um, and I'm glad that he waited for him in the tunnel. He, he if you he, standing foot is planted there. He's breaking his leg in that tackle. So, as a footballer, you'd be absolutely fuming. Yeah, I, I think as well we we haven't mentioned Grealish. I thought he had a really really good game. Yeah, at, at the Southampton game, I thought it was really good. Um, again, but obviously he doesn't. He hasn't been getting goals and assists. So Twitter says it doesn't count. Yeah,
2: narrative narrative <laughs> uh, narrative runs away with itself, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Twitter yeah. knows best. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, not always, not always. Um, the January transfer window is open for a few more days. We're expecting City to do absolutely nothing. So, in the spirit of nostalgia and with no game to preview this week, we sent Dan Burke on a trip down memory lane to look at some of the standout players who have joined City in the winter window.
5: The new winter transfer window was only open for three days before City made their first signing. Jamel Belmadi joined on loan from Marseille before David Sommet arrived from Bordeaux and Robbie Fowler swapped Leeds for Manchester. I thought we were beginning to throw money around, that we shouldn't have been the one or two signings that I won't go into specifically, but you'll probably know which ones they were, which I disagreed with strongly and and I proved to be right. That's former City chairman David Bernstein speaking to the podcast a few years ago. He's referring to the Fowler transfer. He ended up resigning a few weeks later. In the end, I felt that the strong role I've been able to play over four or five years was becoming dissipated, and uh, I wasn't happy with it. So I very well you can imagine how reluctantly I'm having had a wonderful time with my club that I love so much to step away wasn't easy, but I wasn't prepared to compromise on things like that. Keegan was still in charge for City's next winter window. Twelve months later. Now tight on funds, City had a relegation battle on their hands. One of the players brought in to try and keep the club in the Premier League was goalkeeper David James.
6: My first interactions with Kevin Keegan as a manager was the England manager. And um, there's some infamous chuck-out days when it comes to the, the full squad and then the selected squad for any major tournament. So in, uh, in 2000 the Euros, Kevin Keegan had sort of come into my room and said, yeah, you knew you weren't going to go blah, 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 and explained to me why I wasn't going. And I sort of, he left the room and I thought, well, if if that's the manager you are, then good luck to you. He spoke to the podcast last season. The situation at West Ham for me had changed. Alan Pardew had taken over as manager. And, you know, I think uh, euphemistically, we didn't see eye to eye on a few things. And the fact that Manchester City showed faith in me, the fact that I'd actually worked with Kevin. So, I mean, as much as I was disappointed with not being in the squad, um, I'd still work with him, and there was, there was obviously sides to him, which I really, really did admire. And then the opportunity to go to City came about, and there he was, yeah, fantastic.
5: He told us he wasn't aware of how much City was struggling that year.
6: That side of things didn't really bother me. As I say, there was more of the fact that I, I understood, well, from my perspective, what Man City were as a football club. You know, there are other teams in the local area which have, and arguably, rightfully so, because of their success at that time especially, you know, there was a sort of different context to what that team was about, whereas Man City was like, a, as I say, uh, a, a proper football club.
5: James isn't the only goalie City have brought in during the winter window. Arne Arason, an Icelandic goalkeeper, joined with him. And in 2011, Costel Pantillimon made his loan move to City permanent in the January. He told the podcast all about it at the time. It was a great chance
7: for me because City now is a top-level uh, top team. To have this uh, this choice is uh, is great for uh, my career and uh, I like I like in Manchester. Uh, the only problem I have I don't like the weather. It's incredible rain every time and I don't know is but uh, the rest
5: are are okay. In 2009, Mark Hughes signed a goalkeeper in Shay Given. He recently spoke to the Premier League about his move from Newcastle.
7: making a debut, I think a 33-year-old, and I was nervous, because it was like nearly 12 years since my last debut for a club, you know, it was just a bit weird.
5: Given was one of a number of high-profile signings City made that January. This was the first opportunity they'd had to splash the cash after Sheikh Mansour's takeover, and also joining that window was Wayne Bridge, Craig Bellamy and Nigel De Jong. Here's Hughes speaking to the Coach's Voice YouTube channel last year. He explains how the previous summer, things have been very different. The Shinawatra era was clothed in a little bit of mystery and, uh, and intrigue and never
3: really got to the bottom of why players had to be sold. And we had the situation with Vedran or Luka, who arguably was one of our better players at that time. Uh, he had to be sold
0: because there was no money. There was clearly a lot of turmoil and, and obviously the, the club was taken over by uh, Sheikh Mansour and then... Overnight, it just changed completely
5: as a club. This was the first time where money was no object. That luxury wasn't afforded to managers of years gone by, and in 2006, Stuart Pearce's decision to spend six million on Georgios Samaras meant he'd blow most of his budget. Barton crossed oh. in. Oh. Samaras Ross though wasn't a hit at Eastlands a year later with City in desperate need of inspiration and a bid to stay in the Premier League two winter signings proved key first in came Michael Ball from PSV Eindhoven unfortunately at PSV
0: uh, the change of managers I wasn't really in and around the, the, the squad anymore so I was looking for, for game time and, and to obviously get back playing football again and uh, there was a, a few clubs were showing interest to my agent and it was only when Stuart Pearce uh, made the call um, uh, to my agent to say you know, we're ready to take him, get him some game time for the rest of the season, and you know I jumped at the chance then to get get back home to the UK and and uh, you know, basically get back playing and show everyone what I was
5: capable of. He spoke to the podcast last season and told us he knew City weren't in the best of positions when he arrived.
0: We good friend uh, and everyone was Richard Dunn, so we always kept in, in contact and. When City showed interest I gave him a text and said um, I'm jumping on the plane and I'll see you in the morning. He <laughs> was like, why, what's happening? <laughs> and so that was, it was good to obviously get back in the changing room with Richard. Um, and obviously he's been a key player for City. So obviously I've been looking at you know, City's results for many years while Richard's been there and hoping he does well. And uh, to be a part of it was, was great.
5: The signing that year that was more influential in front of goal though, was Emil Impenza. He actually signed in February on a free transfer, and weirdly isn't the only City player to join in the winter after the deadline had passed. In 2008, Benjani was another one.
7: He'd done well for me in the end. He scored the he scored the goal at Wigan at up that year, and I think that was the only goal he got that season. The following year, he started
6: to bang a few goals in, but he was a, as I say, he was a real worker. Suddenly, Sven came on and offered me nine million pound for him and uh, it was a fantastic offer. That was then Portsmouth
5: manager Harry Redknapp speaking about the deal. He explains that Benjani didn't want to go. He got
7: to Southampton Airport and missed two planes and eventually like, I dragged him on the runway to push him onto a plane and kept telling him how, what a great move it was to go to Man City. He got here, I think, about 11 o'clock at night. They rushed him. It was transfer deadline night. They rushed into Man to uh, to the stadium. Somehow, don't ask me how, they got the paperwork through and I was sitting there praying at the other end that it would go through.
5: Benjani later said this wasn't true, debunking the myth that he fell asleep at the airport. It was a rush deal that City even tried to renegotiate after the players' medical, but the Premier League ruled it had gone through successfully and in time. City aren't such a last-minute operation these days. If they dip into the market in January, it's normally for a player they've had eyes on for a long time, like Edin Dzeko in 2011.
7: I saw something else in, uh, in Manchester City. For me it's a big club with a big ambition and uh, I'm also an ambition player and uh, I think we can have together a lot of success. It's, uh, I need to say, a very good team with a very, very good coach and uh, I hear a lot uh, about the fans and uh, I hear also that... Uh, Mostly the people from
0: Manchester
5: are Manchester City fans, and
0: uh, I like (laughs) them.
5: Other strikers signed in the January window include Wilfred Bonny and Gabriel Jesus, though the Brazilians deal had actually been agreed the previous summer. The most recent January signing arrived four years ago, as City broke their transfer record to bring in Imeric Laporte. Here he is speaking to 90 Minutes Football about working with Guardiola.
0: He's very intense all the time. Uh, He's a guy... He knows everything about the football. He has a different uh, mentality of football, and we are enjoying all the time in, on in the pitch. You know, he explains us all the time what we have to do. Obviously, on the pitch we have to decide, but he's, he's always here. He he keep the the team forward all, all the time. We won, we lose. It, it doesn't matter. He is always there, and I think. He he changed everything.
5: The defender arrived in January 2018 and City have done nothing in the mid-season transfer market since. By our count, there have been only three major signings made in the winter window in the last decade, so don't expect the club to open the checkbook over the next few days. (laughs)
7: My name
0: is Gerard a uh, former player of Manchester City, and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast.
1: Please support the show by becoming a backer: Patreon.com/slash Blue Moon Podcast.
2: That was Dan Burke having a look at the players that have joined City in the uh, winter window. Um, Howard, I just want to uh, remind you of something that you said on uh, on the live podcast on Tuesday. What was it? What was it you said about uh, next year's Christmas quiz? And I'm not doing it. Yeah, um, so I just thought we'd do this.
6: <laughs> it's a quiz
4: on
0: time. City's
4: January
0: transfers.
2: <laughs> Sorry, mate, but you can't say that to me and dangle the carrot and then accept oh. to come on the next podcast. All right, well
3: if I promise <laughs> to do the Christmas quiz, will you scrap this now?
2: No, no, no. You've uh, you've made your bed. Let's uh, let's have a lie. What have you done? You can't do How this. Have I you haven't
3: got... got a memory. Remember. <laughs>
2: Yeah. So, uh, here's how it's going to work. Six questions, uh, three each, all about players that have joined City in the January transfer window in years gone by. Um, Howard, is the man who does not want to do the quiz, I'll let you go first. Pick a number one to six. <sighs> three. Number three. Which striker joined City from Qatari club Al Rayan in January
0: 2007?
3: Uh, I've only got one name. No, it, No, it can't be him.
4: Uh, I, I I think I know the answer.
2: Pass no, it over how would pass. I it doesn't go over but uh, Adam can no. you uh, can you fill us in?
4: Uh Impenza.
2: It is Emil Impenza. <sighs> so uh, Adam can you take the lead pick a number 1 to 6.
4: Uh 1.
2: Number 1. Uh David Pizarro joined on loan in January 2012. Who did he score his only goal for City against?
4: <laughs> oh my god. Oh, it was in Europe, I think. Uh, sporting or. Sporting.
2: Oh, he we went for no. the Portuguese team. Wrong one. Porto. Oh,
4: for God's
3: sake.
2: Right. I knew that. Swing and a miss. How about I big a number?
3: I didn't, but I could say that because
2: <laughs> uh,
3: what, what is one still available? Uh,
2: no, one's just gone. You can you, you can't Sorry. have the question that we've just had because you'll know the answer. <laughs> <laughs> I'd still get it wrong. <laughs> two. Number two. Who turned down a move to City in summer 2016, only to change his mind and join 18 months later in January 2018?
3: Ooh. Oh, uh, is it Laporte?
2: It is Laporte.
3: 1-0. That was easy. It was not the most difficult one. Okay, Adam. I almost said Delph, but then it, I
2: realised there was a no. seven-day gap between. Yeah. These. yeah. Heard it. Good six. eighteen months in uh, in the ports, changing his mind. Delf, Delf was Delf flip-flopped over a period of hours. Yeah. let's, Adam, let's uh, go six. Uh, yeah, number six. Uh, on which ground did Felipe Caicedo, signed in January 2008 by Sven-Goran Eriksson, make his debut?
4: Uh, oh, is this a trick question? Oh. I'm going to go with the Etihad.
2: It's a good idea, but it's not. He actually came on for Benjani in the uh, in the Old Trafford derby derby where uh, where, yeah, where where Benjani scored on his debut. Wow,
4: Ah, trick! Yeah, I thought you were tricking
2: us there. No, sorry about that. So Howard, can you uh, you'll you'll win it if you get this one? You've got uh, four or five. I mean, this is damning for Adam if I win this, quiz. <laughs> Uh Four, please. Number four. At £28 million, including add ons, who became the most expensive African footballer when he joined City in a January transfer window? Is it Wilfred Boney? It is Wilfred Boney. Ah, your questions
4: have been ridiculous (laughs) (laughs) that would have been three out of three and I'm stuck here on zero
2: well some some dignity here Uh, Adam if you can get a late consolation with question number five Uh, Daniel Van Buyten joined City in the winter of 2004 and he played five times who were the only team City beat when he was in the team
4: oh come (laughs) on are you joking are you actually kidding (laughs) Oh, can Howard! are you gonna if, double or nothing here. And, if you and think about it, easier
3: questions.
2: If you think about it, you know are the you answer. Are you actually kidding? If you think about it, you know the answer. I promise you.
4: Ah, oh, I'm trying to think. When? When was it? If I think about it, the answer's easy. It wasn't United, was it?
2: It was United. Oh, there we go. Yeah, there you go.
4: I knew that he played. Didn't know that we win. That we yeah. won. So there we go.
2: There we go. It's the uh, the first uh, City Manchester Stadium derby.
4: Oh, there we go. Happy days. Still lost so Yeah, still lost. Two
2: one to Howard. Congratulations, Howard. Well done. You don't have to do the Christmas quiz now. Thank you. <laughs>
4: Just go to statcity.co.uk and browse away. That's
1: statcity.co.uk.
2: This
1: is the Blue Moon Podcast.
2: Sorry about that, Adam. Just had to do that.
4: <laughs> no, that's fine. I'm just devastated that I picked the wrong <laughs>
3: numbers. Sir. Yeah, you did Never get mind. a look with those choices, did you? Sir? There we go. Never mind.
2: Yeah, so uh, now that the uh, the quiz is done and dusted, uh, we always talk about the best and the worst. So I thought it would be a good idea to uh, have a bit of fun with, uh, with this and try and work out who City's worst signing of our lifetimes was um we're not restricting this to this one to the january window this can be from any time uh, but there are, i i did put in a few criteria for the people that we asked on twitter they must have played about 20 games so no mystery unknowns that have uh, that have not played uh, they must have commanded a fee so i don't want any bosmans that didn't work out because that that seems this seems particularly harsh if you've got a player for free and you then say that they're the worst transfer that you've made it's particularly damning um, and expectations, I think, must have been uh, fairly high. So no players where where fans had reservations, that sort of thing. Um, what What are your gut instincts to start with, Howard? What What who would you go to as uh, as one of the worst?
3: Yeah, giving this a bit of thought, I've got to. I'm torn between the big money ones and the ones that say were a few million in the old days, which for City was still big was money at the time, big money, and probably more damning financially for the club than wasting forty million now. My first thought is immediately Bradbury, so mm-hmm. yeah, and I don't know where to go from there, and then the modern one has to be Mangala, so I'm kind of weighing
2: those two up basically yeah uh, Adam, just... are you in the are you in the same place with with this
4: yeah, yeah, I think logic would say Bradbury is because of the the financial situation was probably one Mangala, but I'd probably put Boney in there as well um. And that might be harsh, but yeah, I'd probably put Boney in there with uh, with Mangala
3: of yeah. the modern I mean, day. Bandala, and, and, he did play a few games, didn't he? Yeah, He yeah. did get some games out of him. They just yeah, it went downhill very quickly.
4: Cool. I think the other one um, that I always I don't forget because he always comes up in these lists is Santa Cruz, um, mm. because he was Mark Hughes's big signing, and he was terrible. He played like twenty games. Yeah. Well, he, he was injured a lot and. But when he did play, he was pretty bad. And Hughes made a massive gamble bringing him in for, what, 20 million quid. It was the first time we had the money. And uh, it didn't go very well, did it?
2: Yeah. Joe? What about Joe Howard? Yeah, mm. definitely up there.
3: It's just weird Like years after leaving City, he was back in the Brazil side, was he not? And it's just like, <laughs> what on earth's going on? It just, yeah. It. I think uh, all these... Maybe not Mangala, who I just like Barney I still thought like well, he was the top scorer in the Premier League the previous calendar year. Yeah. So I convinced myself that it was a canny signing by City because it gave us options.
2: There's still an opinion piece of mine from when I was writing for ESPN that said uh, that the signing of Wilfred, uh, it's still online, the signing of Wilfred Bonny uh, is the thing that tips the title race into City's favour that season. Um, and as if you might remember, when City signed him, they were neck and neck with Chelsea. By the end of the season, they were about 15 points behind. But <laughs> <laughs> Joe's definitely up there. Don't, what Was he about 20 million, I think? Yeah, something in it it was like 19 and a half 20 million something in the region of that, yeah. Uh I guess
3: was it before the, just before the takeover though or uh,
2: Yeah, it was I think so. it, either it was way, that, that Shinawatra spell just yeah. Befo-
3: yeah. Either way, you kind of forget that cuz well we then had loads of money so it didn't matter, but yeah, he's prob- I mean, he's played a lot fewer games I think, than Bradbury and Boney. So, he is right up there definitely, but still hung around for quite a while a bit. Uh, we loaned him at Everton, did we not? To Galatasaray, everywhere. He's got to be probably in the t- in the top five, definitely of disastrous signings. I'd okay. put him ahead of Santa Cruz. In fact, uh, Santa yeah. Cruz was just stupid because we knew he was injury prone. I mean, it's not as if we could see that one coming from a mile off. I think he could have been a success, a relative success, if he'd stayed fit the whole time. Whereas Joe just did not work immediately. Yeah, just yeah, just. Yeah, I don't know the lifestyle, everything else, it just didn't work. Yeah, didn't make yeah. sense.
2: Well, uh, some suggestions from Twitter. Niall says, uh, probably not the worst pound for pound, but worth a mention is Santa Cruz. Uh, we'd got money, we'd just got money, and he was clearly the Hughes signing among non-Hughes signings. Uh, now the fee doesn't seem too high, but at the time, we'd not spent 18 million casually on a third-choice striker before. He didn't out. Joe was probably worse, but he did all right in the 2010-11 season, and expectations changed about a month after he signed. Bradbury is probably the worst in terms of hitting all the criteria, but in 97.98 was a shambles. That fee, though, 3 million in nine. 1997 Uh, Kalmami Usama says uh, 42 million pounds for Eliakim Mangala at a time when we were in hopeless need of a class defender to build around the back line ended up making only 79 appearances before disappearing to Valencia Uh, Jake says Mangala the fact that we also ploughed that cash into him which meant we didn't move for Sanchez and shipped out Nastasic. Francis Foles goes for Lee Bradbury when three million really was three million he actually wrote it down as Lee bad buy but I corrected that Um, (laughs) Paulinho says it has to be Bradbury uh, considering the state were in at the time, and he was our all-time record signing at the time. Uh, Ender Byrne throws in uh, Matthias Furoso, who was £3.5 in 2002, but he never played for the first team. Uh, he also says John Mackin for £5 million in 2002, which I, I think is a bit harsh, Adam. Nah. Yeah. You know why? Because uh, yeah. I went to that. You know
3: when Preston beat us 2-1? And he scored and he from the halfway line. Yeah. He mm-hmm. was chucking it down. And that was the time when you had a good game against City, City signed you. <laughs> it's just like, you know, it only took one game, like uh, Bob Taylor or whatever. It's just like, yeah, if you play well against City, it's, you're kind of in the shot window here. Every time you play them, they'll probably splash a few million pounds on you. He, of course he scored. Yeah. Sorry, I'll leave it to, uh, he's probably paid it back for one goal anyways, but I'll, I'll leave it to Adam. Yeah. No, no, a
4: hundred percent. He, he gets a pass just for the Spurs goal so
2: yeah it's, it's been involved in an iconic City moment I don't think I don't think the worst ever signing for a club can be involved in an iconic moment can they I think that's how it, how it has to work um, Mark Simmons suggests Bradbury and Veroso at least we got 25% back for Mangala and Macken did 50 games therefore it must be Joe or Santa Cruz 19 million and 17 million for 20 appearances and hardly anything when sold on uh, Ben M says it's harsh to mention Veroso when he never got a game uh, between Boney and Santa Cruz for me I would also mention Wayne Bridge Wayne Bridge Howard yeah, no, he's. he's well, I think he is he is quite a good footballer.
3: So yeah, he we'll was off. our
4: Trippier, wasn't he? Trippier against yeah, Newcastle know. was very Wayne just, Bridge to See,
3: yeah, I don't know. I, a disappointment, absolutely. No, I'm, I'm never sure why. Yeah. Could have been a lot better, definitely, but I don't think he reaches the top of the list considering <laughs> some of the names that have already been read out.
2: Yeah, this this one, Adam. I um, I I think I I think this one is really harsh. Uh, Luke Osborne says, "Javi Garcia title defense season was meant to be a replacement Ooh. for Nigel De Jong and look well out of place in the team, but uh, by the by the second season under Pellegrini, he was he was good in that team.
4: Yeah, and he was absolutely gorgeous as well, wasn't he? So that, I mean, that, that helps, him, yeah. But, but, but I mean, didn't help Santa um, Cruz
2: in this this discussion? So. <laughs> yeah. No, it didn't. you can't I use think... that when you've let Santa Cruz go by.
4: Yeah. I think, um, I think with Javier Garcia, he he was brought in to replace Deong, which is tough. But if you're gonna if you're gonna throw Garcia in, let's throw Scott Sinclair in, Jack Rodwell, just another signing that was to replace someone, and we got it all wrong. Having won the league, that was yeah. City's downfall, wasn't it? For a few seasons where you win the league, you don't replace properly, and then you sign someone who's just not as good. Um, but I, I quite liked Garcia and I'd put him in that bracket with Fernando. And, but Fernando's gone on to now be back in the Brazil side and uh, be one of the better holding midfielders in Europe. So what do we know? Yeah,
3: exactly. Kind of put Alito on for slugging
2: that he managed to climb up <laughs> and then going back to Spain. Well, what did he get mm. more headbutts than goals in the City team? <laughs> yeah. He yeah. got away with one in one yeah, match. Yeah. It, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Paul Ferris suggests uh, Jerry Creeny for Paul, Walsh and Cash, uh, which is... Great show. Yeah, it, yeah, It's a horrid transfer, that one. Uh, and Man City Tactics says it's difficult to order them, so Creeny, Bradbury, Vrosso, Joe and Bravo. Claudio, Bravo not getting a mention until the very end, Howard. Wow. Right.
3: God, we've had some terrible transfers. <laughs> <laughs> I assume any club podcast could probably sit down and name 200, because obviously... Every club's got a long, long list of things that have gone wrong. Bravo. I've just thought
4: and of a couple more as well. He's got to be up
3: there. T- yeah, T-Rex hands Bravo. It's just like, it's, we- it's weird because his, his stature was big. Yeah, you know, it, it seemed a bargain at the time. And yet,
2: and yet yeah. when he was in the goal, his stature was tiny.
3: Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, was it? his can, debut, can least... was it the Manchester derby, the debut? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it yeah, just seemed perfectly, didn't it? <laughs>
4: I mean, at the same time, though, he did win us a few penalty shootouts that got us through Carabao Cup times. True. So, Mm. I mean, at the same time, he was good at penalty shootouts, but he was terrible otherwise.
2: Yeah. I'll give him that. You said Um, you mentioned, you thought of a couple of others, Adam, as well.
4: Yeah, Christian Good.
2: Ah, that's one. Cult hero. Cult hero for me, Christian Ngui.
4: Yeah, what, for the red card?
2: Well, fastest ever Premier League red card um yeah he punched I mean, the ball in the net good. against rotherham
4: yes he did and he did he not um
2: he came on against arsenal in the league cup and then just sub, sub, subbed himself off after city had had um used all three yes. subs to just walk down the tunnel nobody knew where he'd gone uh, and that was a, yeah
4: scored at tns as scored well,
2: at tns what is, more yeah, can okay. you ask, like he yeah, only played like 15 games what more can you ask for this is action packed
4: right okay we can have him what about <laughs> lauren charve
2: Xavi, yes, I will. Um, I, I still, mm. I still hold it against Alan Shearer that when Xavi signed, uh, he said that uh, City had signed a real athlete, and I just wondered who this was because it wasn't <laughs> wasn't the player that was running up and down the wing, was it? And the
4: the final one that I'll throw in is another a bit like the the uh, Paul Walsh plus cash, plus cash one. What about George Ware?
2: No, another another know- no iconic iconic moment.
4: I know iconic, but we were paying him something like 35 grand a week in 99, which is, that was a lot of, and to be fair, he did just leave and, and say, oh, you're not playing me, I'm got, I'm going to go. Right, okay, bye. Well,
2: he, yeah, he alleged um, that, uh, that Joe <clears throat> Royal told him to, I think the quote was, shut up and fuck off. And I'm thinking if there's any city manager <laughs> that, that that said that, I can, I can imagine it being Big Joe, you know. <laughs> what was his iconic moment, was it? Injuring He's, Dennis Irwin in his testimonials. Sco- yeah, he scored at Anfield as well. Scored three against Gillingham. Yeah, yeah. What more can you ask for?
4: <laughs> okay, <laughs> but um, he, he was also the reason that Joe Royal said, oh, um, he said something along the lines of, these these are huge signings. These are not about us trying to stay up this season. Of course, we then got relegated. <laughs> um, but he was like the catalyst for, oh, look at our shiny new star. Nope, dead, yeah. relegated. <laughs>
3: Can I just add one? Yeah, uh, go for it. Not the most disastrous, but for disappointing, I put—I I don't know if it's Stefan or Stefan, stevan Jovetic. Because I was absolutely convinced yeah. he was going to be a world star when he came to us, and he just kind of, yeah, flitted about. Uh, more known for his clothing fashion sense on Instagram, really, and then just left again. So, but well, I can't remember if we got he, he much of our really money good. back. To be honest. Yeah, he looked yeah, really, but really I good, s- I expected so much more from him, yeah.
2: Yeah.
4: Oh, what about Jerome Boateng?
2: Nah. We <laughs> signed, yeah, yeah, I'd say... Uh, could, another could, iconic. Dis- yeah, disappointing, no, disappointing for City, wasn't he? But then went on well, yeah, to have ten, a pretty decent ten million career.
4: quid, part of that, just the best signing photo of all time with Silva, Torre and Kolarov. Um
2: <laughs> oh, The, the, the spend spen- one with Alano, Choluca and uh, about, about yeah. 10 others is pushing that one, though.
4: That's good, but then didn't he get injured by an air hostess on the <laughs> yeah. flight? Like pushed a drinks trolley into him, and then he didn't play for us again. True. Um,
2: True.
4: Yeah. So that I mean, they've, they've, there have been a fair few.
2: Some so. good shouts there. Let us know if we've, uh, if we've missed yours at Blue Moon Podcast on Twitter. You can email us as well, bloomingpodcast.com. Uh But now we're going to move on. And while Manchester City got a lot wrong in the late 90s on the pitch, they were at least doing a few things right away from it. One area where the club were always given a lot of credit in years gone by was for their youth setup. In 2001, Kevin Keegan gave a debut to a young player who would only go on to feature a handful of times for City, but he would have a solid career in the Football League. Chris Schuka joined Main Road in 1999 as a teenager, and I've been speaking to him this week to find out what it was like coming through the ranks at that time.
7: I got spotted by City and Eden at the same time and I went into both and, and I, I ended up choosing, um, I just before I'd signed for City, I was on trial at City, we played against Liverpool and then um, they wanted to sign, they wanted, they rang me on the, uh, it was up, the game was on the Saturday, Liverpool rang me on the Tuesday, obviously was, I was a Liverpool fan as a kid, kid, kid. Um, and they rang and they said, do, do you want to, and I I've been told to was City on a Friday and I said i um, I said I'm gonna stay with City, I love it that much. So stay with city. It was uh, still people say, Oh, well, you wish you the not sign Liverpool. I was like, Absolutely not, no. I said I'll, i made the right decision.
2: What what was the academy like at the time? Um, because it was it's a very different academy set
7: up in, in the Premier League in those days to what it is now. Well, we just we'd actually just gone it. we were the first year of the academy, so it was the first year of no YTS, no, we did to, like all the boot clean and got scrapped, all that type of stuff, which I don't think was a bad thing, you know. But it, it was, it was the first year of the change, so obviously a transition. Um, I didn't see anything. Obviously, I was new to it really, so I don't know what it was like before or or what. So it, it was it was great the way it worked for me, like and, and the lads, especially with the scholarship given extra year because the, the three year scholarship gives you that little bit of security, I think, as well to to develop.
2: Yeah, so what I mean, at the start of that Division One season, um, how, how much, how much interaction had you had with Kevin Keegan? Had he told you that you were going to be in and around the first team, or was it a little bit of a surprise when you when you started making the bench,
7: that sort of thing? Yeah, no, he hadn't. He hadn't told. Obviously, you just you just training and working hard, and then he's, he's pulling you to the side and might say the odd thing, or he might just say the odd thing in passing. And you sort of take it with a pinch of salt. I do anyway. I, I would take it as a pinch of salt and just think, right, whatever he says to me now, make I'm just going to keep doing what I'm, I'm trying to get to and trying to achieve. Um, I'm, I'm cracked on with that. And obviously, eventually, luckily for me, it didn't happen much, but I did I did end up getting around it and, and being amongst it quite regularly.
2: I was going to say, your your City debut came uh, on, it was on September the 11th, 2001, um, against Notts County. W- was there any doubts that, uh, because of what had happened in America, that that game wasn't going to go ahead?
7: Uh, yeah, there was, yeah. We we were in a hotel in Nottingham. And obviously then we're, we're in, standing like, a, we had the lunch when we got there and then go for, to the rooms. And then this, like, terrible disaster's happening and they were saying about, like, it, it might not be going ahead. Now, it, it, it was an unbelievable thing. You, you know, you, none of us could believe it at all, but the, the game ended up going ahead and, and luckily for me, I got a debut and ended up scoring which was my dream so it was like a bit of a crazy day for me really when,
2: when did you find out that you were in the team for that day
7: oh I was I we, I we got the squad the day before and then we travelled so I was like oh my god I'm in the squad This is the first, like unbelievable and then um, I think it was I think it was in the first it was the first half I think I come on I th- yeah I think I have been with injured or something so I come on uh, first half was only, I think only on four minutes and scored so that, like I don't know if you've seen the goal. I, I still have it on me. Someone sent to me on Instagram like last year, and I asked on the celebration. I actually don't know. I think I'm in shock. I'm like putting my hands on my head, like, like what's just happened there? Especially with it being a header as well. They didn't used to happen quite often.
2: Well, I was going to say you, uh, you you weren't uh, you weren't the tallest of players. Where where did it uh, where did where did that goal come from?
7: What what do you remember of it? I remember. I literally just remember it, thinking. I'm... Um, I'm going to go on and enjoy myself. That was my main thing. And then I was near the edge of the box. The ball got rolled back to someone. And I, made, I used to make like runs across people just to, just in case anything happened. That's a, I was like sort of an opportunist type. So I made the run across and Simon Colossum. His cross wasn't the best. So I, it obviously was going to hit the front man's foot. And, and luckily my head was just about that height. So And the flicking in front. and just, I thought I'll just glance this towards the far post somewhere. It was actually a shot. I thought, I'll, I'll just flip this towards the far post because that's I could do, really. And then it ended up looping straight in the top corner.
2: Do you, when, when obviously uh, you were on the bench to, to start with for that game, um, when, because the substitution came quite early, were, were, you, were you kind of, did you not have time to get nervous or anything like that?
7: No, and I'm not really a nervous kind anyway. I'm more like <laughs> um, just for enjoyment. So uh, the nerves never used to get me, really. Um, and... Yeah, it, it, obviously getting on, I I didn't think I'd even get on, to be honest. I was like, I'll probably just come. As a kid, sometimes it, when you travel with the first team, sit certainly until you've been on the pitch, most of the time it's like I've come for the ride sort of thing to get a bit of experience. And I remember Goat and Huckabee and stuff speaking to me in the changing room and Dickov and just saying, you know, you, you've, you've done really well to be here and stuff. And you're thinking, well, that's the step. I've done well to be here. That will be this step for this week, and then maybe next week you'll go again, and then you might. So, so to get on, I was I was absolutely over the moon. there
2: Now you mentioned uh, Darren Hookerby there, uh, Sean Gota There was uh, there was Paula Wanchope around the, the the first team at the time. Um, uh, what what was it like to 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 kind of be training with these sorts of players?
7: On oh, top draw, they were, obviously I'd seen Hookerby when I was a kid. He was obviously quite young when he came on the scene at like Coventry and stuff, and um. It, it, yeah, they, they were they were good players, you know, back back in the day at that level. Um, they're, they're amazing players. So to be amongst them was um, was, I used to listen to them. I take on board. Obviously, my good mate Sean, like Phillips, was in the squad. He got in a bit earlier, so he he sort of primed everyone really because he had like a bit more of a taste of it and stuff. So yeah, it was um, it was amazing.
2: Yeah, did you find it difficult at that same time though? Because obviously, with with so many forward players in in a Keegan. team, I mean, Keegan was known for wanting to get forwards into the team, but there's there's only so many forwards you can get into a team.
5: Yeah,
7: well, people people say, oh, it must have been that hard in them days because they didn't have the money to spend. I think I think Keegan spent about fifty million on forwards, and like back in that in that time, you know what I mean. Yeah. Anelka was thirteen million, and those those like some right money and players coming in. So you find it hard. You, you take a step up the ladder and then, and then you bring someone else in and that puts you back down the ladder because as soon as you've paid five million or something for someone, John Macken or whatever, you're straight back down the ladder and then you, you're going again. But I never really see myself. I see myself more as a winger in, in the reserves and the youth team. But Keegan would only, would, you say, I only see it as a, like a number 10. So that's, that's why I played in them. Um, positions for, keep, for, for the first team I never used to play in, the, in anywhere else except for the first
2: team Yeah I'm, I want to take you to the start of the next season because obviously City were promoted um, in, that, in that year did you think when City went up to the Premier League did you think that, that you, it was going to be even harder to get into the team at that point
7: Yeah you think it's even harder but the, but I'm like looking at the progression and stuff I, I've been on and the things the manager was saying um, they're quite, they were quite positive really so I, I wasn't think there was no negativity coming in thinking, oh, I've got no chance now or anything It was like um, he, he's, these are the things he's saying, but let's take the other pinch spot salt, as I said before and keep working hard and, and um, keep pushing to where we want to get to.
2: Yeah so what what was the difference for you between um, uh, Division one and the Premier League because you, you came off the bench a couple of times in division one. you then did a, against Leeds on the opening day of the season. what, what, what
7: was there a, was there a huge difference there? Well, i I had a I had a good preseason, so I played a lot of games that preseason. Um, I think I scored. I scored six in preseason, and I was like literally full of confidence. I was, I was, I actually, I actually thought I was going to start the first game of the season. Um, I was actually, funny enough, I was actually disappointed not to start the first game of the season because I had a, had a good preseason. Um, but you know, then as soon as he's named the team and I'm not in it, then, uh, so, I I thought, well, okay, I'm on the bench, if I I come on, my view was I have to make an impact. It annoys me these days in this area when young lads come on the pitches and they're getting it and passing it sideways and they only get limited chances they have to go make an impact. Um, So, my view was, like I did in the first game against Nottingham County, I luckily got ahead and scored, I have to go on and make an impact. It was, we I think we were two 0 down at the time, and I come on. Um, but yeah, fantastic experience. I got one shot off. Um, Paul Robinson saved the near post on targets, which so I'm thinking, right, okay. And another one come back to me, and I tried to whip it for the far corner, and got it wrong, and it went into the, over the, well over the bar, which annoyed myself. But yeah, it was a, it was an amazing experience. And then having that little taste of of being on the pitch in the Premier League. Then it's like we need to we need to kick on and keep trying and keep keep getting more of these moments to make them impacts
2: yeah, well, I was going to say then Blackburn came a few weeks later um what when did Keegan tell you we were going to be starting that game
7: Just, literally on the day, me and Mikhail Bischoff were both in the squad and then he, we were like newer in the squad, obviously again Sean had been around the squad for ages at that point and played the whole season, so he was like a regular but. Me and Mikel Bischoff were in the squad, and then you name named the team. We were both starting.
2: Yeah, when when you look back at your at your time at City, um, is there anything that you that you think you could have done differently, or you wished you'd done differently?
7: No, I I, I don't. Um, well, Blackburn at home, I could have uh, <laughs> when I lobbed the keeper, Brad Friedel come out, and it landed on top of the net. I could have took a little bit off that, and that had a change. And the first half, one an Elka squared one, and I went to side foot it, and. I, and I, I never would have side foot it in training, I would have just I would have just gone straight through it, you know what I mean? And I went to side foot it and it slides off my foot and ends up going well then things happen, they happen every game now, you know what I mean? But as a young lad, like I said to you before, um you you have to you have to make that impact. Now, if an elk had done that, it's not even looked at like oh like oh lucky Nick. Have, you know, we've getting but with with me it was like my first start, you have to make that impact. And I, if, if one of them goes in, my city career could have been a whole lot different. But it didn't, so I don't dwell on it. It is what it
2: is. Yeah, and uh, just finally as well, I mean, obviously uh, you mentioned growing up, you were a Liverpool fan. Uh, city and Liverpool have been uh,
7: going head oh, to head for I'm the last few years. I'm full yeah. City now. Don't worry. I was going to I, ask,
2: did did your has your experience of being at Main Road changed where you where you are? Yeah, you're absolutely.
7: Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm like a full City. Like yeah, City's my team. My little girl, sports City and. Yeah, so I, I absolutely 100%.
2: Yeah, what do you mate? What do you mates from growing up all say about that now?
7: Oh, uh, I don't give a damn. Oh, I played for City, did we? i say, like, yeah, you used to Liverpool, but you didn't ever play for them. So keep your zip, sure, you just chose them. <laughs>
1: check out exclusive City interviews on our website bluemoonpodcast.com
2: That was Chris Shuka speaking to me about his time at City. Patreon backers can now hear the full-length version of that interview as well and it will be available for everyone else at the end of the season. Uh, We're going to finish with uh, listener questions, get in touch on Twitter at BlueMoonPodcast. You can email through the website as well bluemoonpodcast.com Colin James has been in touch on Twitter to say City's record in Saturday tea time games is poor. Last season I think they dropped points in four out of seven games in that time, uh, three of our next four Saturday tea time games, does this concern you? Um, now before we get into whether it concerns you or not, I did uh, run the, uh, I did go back through the fixtures and, and have a look at, uh, at the record uh, for 5.30 kickoffs on a Saturday, this season so far it's played 3-1-2, drawn 1, so they're actually unbeaten uh, on uh, Saturday tea times at the moment this season uh, since the start of last season though the the, uh, the, the, the record gets a little bit worse, it's played 10-1-5, drawn 3 lost 2, so it gets down to about 50% win um, and then since the start, but it's. I, I think it's the. I, I think that last season is being skewed by uh, by the first half of the season because since the start of 2021, when that winning run started at Chelsea, uh, it's played 6 1 4, drawn 1. So they're, they're doing all right. Adam, it, it, it doesn't feel like a, a particularly problematic kickoff time for City, this one.
4: No. Uh, it's usually the away 12 30s that I don't like. Um, but no, I, I mean, I. The dream kickoff time is 5.30 on a Saturday for me, so um, I've never really thought about it as problematic, I don't think. Um, it's it's the greatest kickoff time. We've got Spurs at home on a Saturday at 5.30, which is magnificent. <laughs> um, so I, I'm all for Saturday 5.30, so nobody could say anything that would change my mind, to be honest. We could lose most games and I'd still love them.
3: Excellent. I, th- I think it's a small sample size, but you'd have to analyse who they've played. To be honest, yeah, because... they're always
4: going to be better games as well. I'd imagine.
3: Well, yeah. yeah. In my first thought was they might just be the toughest games, but then I realised we've got Southampton, we've got Norwich. It's not always that way. But who knows? They might again. You hinted at it already, David. Some of them might have been like the early start, early part of the season in the last two seasons. We've not had a preseason and struggled early doors. You'd have to delve really <laughs> deep into it to know if there was some psychological problem with the players because players do love a routine, don't they? And having fixtures all over the place. <laughs> yeah, the, the one thing we try to do it. is
2: not give them a routine. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, but in my head, like I don't know. I, in my head, I think half 12 ones are where City are worse. I don't know why I think that, but I always get very nervous with early kickoffs on a Saturday.
2: We did it on the podcast a few years ago because uh, Guardiola said um, that he hates he hates Monday night games. Um, and he said there's something about having, having to wait the whole weekend. You've watched everybody else do what oh. they need to do. And then you've got your game on a Monday night. And then I had a look at City's record under him on a Monday night. And they just kept losing Monday night games. So I wonder if Monday nights are the worst ones, Adam. Well, that, that's worrying because we've just had one announced for Monday night. Yeah.
4: So.
3: Yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah. And it, and it's Palace away, which, as Mike on Twitter said, it's easier to get to Kiev than Palace on a Monday. So um, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure Pep will be delighted
3: about
2: yeah. that. Yeah. Right. Well, that brings us to an end for this week's Blue Moon podcast. Thank you very much for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, please go and give it a rating and a review in all the usual places. Thanks also to my guests for this week, Howard Hawking. Absolute pleasure. And Adam Keyworth.
4: Yeah. Thanks for having me.
2: Uh, if you'd like a little bit more Blue Moon Podcast, then you could sign up to our Patreon. Every Monday, there's a bonus show for backers, and there's a whole back catalogue of shows from this season to listen to. Last Monday was the City Heaven, City Hell, where me, a City fan, and an Opposition fan reflect on four games between the two sides, too good and too bad. It was with City fan Alan Phoenix-Bates and Fulham fan Sammy James. Here's a little taster of this week's show.
1: It's the first first game I busked, I decided as part of my, my shtick, are we going to do a guest slot thing? So take someone who associated with Fulham and sing a song of theirs. So I did a farcically bad cover of Not Fair by Lily Allen, which was (laughs) to utter deserved indifference. (laughs) So I dropped that idea quite quickly. Anyway, the heavens opened at that point. So there I was was with ukulele. Everyone ran for cover. And I was just stuck on me little blue dot sponsored by Umbro getting wetter and wetter by the second. So it was fairly wretched before the game to start off with. Now, the thing was, City, I was full of optimism, though, because City had got 100% home record at that point. The second half started, Bobby Zamora misses an absolute sitter, rewrote the books of physics in the process. <laughs> how, he, how, how he got that over the bar, I will never know. He and did then, that a few times, Bobby. Yes, <laughs> yeah. apparently it's one of his party tricks, isn't it? Very much. So this this could be even more of a hell game for me if that had not done if he'd not done that. Anyway, next ten minutes we're all City. You know, a bit scrappy the goal, and uh, Roy wasn't pleased about it. But Les Scott managed to get it in from a corner with this mad, mad scramble. Now Petrov's goal was a lot more cultured. And um, so I'm sat there thinking, right, three points in the bag, and I'm taking all the credit with this superb display of musicianship that's obviously moved the team (laughs) on. So pride comes before a fall. Damien Duff, who I always think could do a great prof Emmett Brown, he scored from what, to be fair, was a, a nice piece of work. Then up pops Clint Dempsey. I felt weirdly responsible. I busked several games consecutively after that and it was draw after draw after draw and I started thinking, is this me?
2: That was a clip of this week's Patreon bonus show. It's out now. If you want to hear the full thing, just head over to patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast and become a backer for £2 per month. You'll also get a new extra show each week for that price, and you'll get the main show without the adverts as well. All the details on patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. I'll be back next week to look ahead to the FA Cup tie with Fulham and the home game with Brentford. So I'll see you then.